Hello, coaches, and welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mullins. I'm also the Managing Director for the ITA. There are a few college coaches in recent memory who have volunteered as much of their time to help grow the sport of tennis as Peter Wright. Peter has been the head men's coach at Cal Berkeley for the past 27 years. He has led his team to 20 consecutive NCAA tournaments and has coached 20 All-American selections. He is also celebrated for his work off the court, winning the 2017 ITA Meritorious Service Award and the 2012 USTA ITA National Campus and Community Outreach Award. This conversation with Peter goes in many different directions. We discuss the importance of volunteering, fundraising, the future of college tennis, and Peter provides lots of thoughtful advice for the next generation of college tennis coaches. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Peter Wright, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm doing great. It's it's really good to have you on here. I've had you on my list of guests that I want to speak to for, for quite some time. Obviously, we go go way back, um, uh, well beyond just, just college tennis and, and me playing at Fresno State. You were obviously the Davis Cup captain. And I you won't remember this, Peter, but I was probably 13 or 14 years old and you uh you came and did a presentation in Ireland, in Dublin, at, a, at Riverview there um, during during a tournament, and and uh, I sat down there with my parents, along with probably thirty other families, and and uh, was so enthralled with with your presentation and college tennis, and literally made up my mind that night that. I wanted to play college tennis in America. Um, so, so I don't think I've ever told you that, but you were you were my inspiration. So, thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, it's amazing. I, I don't. I'm, I don't I've, I've given talks. I didn't know uh, that that had that impact on you. But you know, don't forget that uh, you're a Davis Cup player for Ireland, and, and we had some great experience there too. So, playing on the team and all of that, uh, uh, it's been a pleasure to be associated with you as a player and, and as a coach. And, and now, you know, look at you. You're you're uh, you're practically running college tennis at the ITA. So that's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I don't know about that, but thank you. It's it's uh, yeah. It's funny where life takes you, right? I mean, it's it's a thing that. Uh, yeah, a little kid in, in, in Dublin, Ireland, and, and now I'm, I'm working in the college tennis system. It's, it's funny what happens over the course of a number of decades. But uh, yeah, really looking forward to getting into a number of topics here today. You've been uh, coaching uh, for, I think you've been the head coach now at Berkeley for, for 27 years. Um, is that correct? Is this your 28th season you're going into? 28th season, going strong. Yeah. So, but I, I want to start off by your talking about your service to tennis. So you, you've served the sport of tennis, college tennis in a number of ways, um, NCA committee, ITA board of directors, ITA operating committee, USTA collegiate committee, U tennis advantage, as we talked about Irish Davis cup captain, uh, you've won lots of awards for your team success, but also for your service away for the courts, including, uh, the 2017 ITA meritorious service awards. So why has service to the sport of tennis being so important to you throughout your career? Well, I mean, it's it, David, it's, it's been a, uh, such a privilege for tennis to be, um, where I've been able to spend my life. And, and I think more so than looking at just what we do and, and the wins and losses, uh, of, of our team and, and the, the players that we have, it, it, we've got to look to the health of our sport and, and how we contribute to it. So, um, I've always tried to take a broader, bigger picture view of, of collegiate tennis. And, and one of my passions has really been over the years to look at the transition from junior tennis to collegiate tennis to the pro tour. 
Um, and the top of Division One collegiate tennis certainly plays a role and has played a significant role in that over the years. Um, and, and all of the different organizations that, that you mentioned, whether it's the USTA, uh, the ITA, um, uh, Davis Cup, all these come together, the different boards and bodies uh, working together, sometimes not working together. Um, but the better that we come together with ideas about the future and how we can strengthen our sport um, is, is really, it's, it's been an important piece of the puzzle for me. So um, when I'm on the committees, I try to encourage people to think beyond their own personal, how this affects me personally, but how does this affect our sport? How does this affect college tennis? How does this affect the entire college pathway, the pathway from juniors to, through to the pros? Mm-hmm. And, and what kind of sowed the seed for that? Because I don't know that your, your, level, your commitment to service is, is a little different from, from a lot of other coaches in, in all aspects of, of tennis, not just in college tennis. So where did that, that start for you or how was that seed you know, planted? Well, you know, I, I think one of the, the, the ways that I try to live is where you are, try to, to make things better and try to explore the things that, you know, why do we, when I joined the NCAA tennis committee, uh, there were certain processes that were there and I, and I, you know, I was the new guy on the committee and I just asked, I said, Hey, uh, why do we, why do we do it this way? And they said, well, it's because that's the way we've always done it. We've done that for years. And I said, well, does it make any, does, you know, this makes sense? Uh, not necessarily, but that's the way we do it. So I, I like to try to help um, the processes and the thinking um, to, to move things forward and make them better. And I, I do that with my teams. You know, we don't, I, I tell guys, I don't want to know why this is bad or why this is terrible. Let's talk about what can make it better and, and what are the solutions to creating a better environment and, uh, and facilitating that for everyone. So I try to instill that in my guys. I try to, to, to live it myself. And as we look at, where we are, it's, it's making our world better, but it's also making the world around us better for everyone. So we're, we're all part of this uh, ecosystem together. And, uh, and that's, I feel strongly that if we work together and we're good neighbors to each other, then we have a lot of strength. For sure. I couldn't agree more. So what are maybe some of the lessons that, that you've learned? I mean, you've exposed yourself, you know, to the NCA side of things, the USTA side of things, the international side of things. You're looking at, at all these different, um, you know, uh, areas of tennis from a number of different angles. But how have these experiences maybe helped you become a better college coach or have they? Well, I, I think, you know, the perspective you get after um, working with the organizations that, that we've worked with, whether it's the, our conference, the PAC-12 or the NCAA or the ITA um, or the ITF um, and the USTA, it, it really, um, I, I think it's helped me get a perspective about the pathways of, of how people work together. And I would probably look at the most effective times I've had working within the sport has been when uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to have conversations and dialogue with the USDA, with the ITA, with the NCAA. Um, those collaborations and collaborative uh, uh, that work has been incredibly helpful for helping look at the, um, the future and the pathway that we, we can go down. So um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I've, I've truly enjoyed that. And it's helped me as a coach because I, I think perspective is something that all of us need to consider uh, from time to time. You know, we, we talk about what are we entitled to? What's, uh, what do we have to earn? And I, I, I really look at it that we're not entitled to much, and, but we have the opportunity to earn things as we go and make them better and contribute to that success. So that, that's, that's really how I've approached my service to tennis, how I approach my job at, at Cal, because not only do I look at myself as a tennis coach at Cal, but I look at myself as an assistant athletic director uh, to my to our athletic director. I look at myself as an assistant development person for our, our development staff and, and for our chancellor as well. So um, those roles we, we take very seriously. And, and I think the the all the way up to the chancellor's office, they appreciate the, the team element of, of what we can bring to, to the equation. Mm. So that perspective of, of thinking about yourself as an assistant to, to all those important individuals on your campus, is that something uh, that's kind of dawned on you through the years or is that an approach you took early in your, your coaching career or is that an approach you'd encourage other coaches to, to take as well? Well, certainly, Dave. I mean, you, you look at our sport, our sport, the people who play tennis um, are some of the most influential people on the planet. And we get a chance to meet them, uh, play tennis with them, interact with them socially uh, and, and learn about them. And that's that's one of the things I've been saying to our, our coaches in general. Um, but for, for tennis at, at the, the local club or tournaments or through your summer camps, you get to interact with, with a lot of people who may be donors to the university. They may be significant pe- members of the community. They may be season ticket holders to your football uh, games. But the more you help facilitate those relationships, because their kids may come and play in your tennis camp or they may come and play in your adult tennis camp, um, they are the people who are helping your athletic director be uh, uh, more successful and the chancellor or the, or the university president, the same thing. You'd be surprised how many of the people who are maybe on the chancellor's top 20 list uh, of supporters of the university play tennis or are members of the local country club and you have access to them and you have ability to help strengthen those relationships. Even if it's just saying, thank you for what you do for the university, not necessarily asking for money for your men's tennis program or your women's tennis program, but strengthening that tie because those are, those people are influential. They can help not only the university, but then they can help your kids when they're looking for jobs as well with internships and, and connections in, in the community. So I'm, I've really spent a lot of time with community uh, locally for our school, getting to know the, the people who, um, who play tennis and want to play tennis and helping make their experience better um, and make the experience for their kids better. So it really does, uh, uh, it does impact our sport in terms of, of how well we build community around it. Yeah. And so as you, you talk about impact there, where, where do you think with, with all your years of service, do you have made the, the greatest impact maybe? Um, and, and tell us about some ways tennis and, and I guess more specifically college tennis and college athletics has evolved, where it has maybe stood still in some areas where has it regressed? Just interested to get your, your take with all your experience in this, this arena. 
Yeah, well, you know, college sports is uh, in the United States is is an amazing um, animal, and and I think it's dominated by football and basketball. And 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 right now with the the, the pandemic and a lot of things going on, people are taking a moment to ex- explore the the financial model that intercollegiate sports has uh, both uh, Division One, Two, Three, NAIA, all through the the collegiate. Uh, experience and um, and I've I've noticed that it's not a very successful financial model for many. Um, for some schools, it, it is, but they're by and far the the, the exceptions. Uh, and and most athletic departments basically don't make money for for their school. They lose money, and they're maybe subsidized by student fees or or something else. So we, we're trying to take a look at that and see what models can help us go forwards. Um, I look at our young people on our team. And and one of the the fundamental things that I talk to my team about is giving back, um, giving back to to the young people in the community. So that, that spurred my, um, my interest in, in Arthur Ashe's foundation, the NJTL. And and we have a, a chapter underneath it in the Bay area called youth tennis advantage. And we now have, and we've had it for 20 years on our Berkeley campus, a classroom space that is um, for our youth tennis advantage kids that allows them to have after school academic tutoring, life skills, and tennis tutoring. And every one of our players on the men's team and on the women's team gives a day, um, we, we do five days a week. So for our kids, we have two players there every session, uh, Monday through Friday uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. doing either academic tutoring or tennis tutoring with the kids. And, and it's, uh, it's incredibly empowering for our student athletes and, and for the kids. Because as you mentioned at the outset, right, you, you're, the, you're the young person sitting in the crowd listening um, and, and the impact that that can have on your life. And so for these young people to come to a college campus and look at these amazing, you know, men's and women's tennis players as, as what a tremendous role models, uh, not only great players, but, you know, work really hard in school. It, it gives them some, some great incentives to, to, to want to be a part of that. And, and it gives our tennis teams something to, to, to latch on to, to feel how powerful it is to give back and to give of themselves. And they get so much out of it uh, as well. So, uh, again, that goes to our community building. That goes to what we do about giving back and, and, and helping others around us and realizing the privilege that we might have and that we do have um, in the community and, and, and globally as well. Yeah, that, that's amazing, Peter. I know a few coaches have kind of adopted that NJTL model on their campuses and, and the ITA is working in this uh, Tennis for America, which we launched this year and, and uh, created some great partnerships with NJTLs. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a great model for coaches to use moving forward and, and uh, uh, lots of great um you know, ideas and, and, uh, you know, ways to go about that. And, and, uh, the USTA, USTA foundation have, have worked extremely hard on trying to come up with a system, uh, where, you know, these programs can get started on really any courts in any part of the country at any time. And, uh, they may not have the most beautiful facility or anything like that, but you can get started somewhere. And, and, uh, that's something again, our college coaches can do for sure. So, so well done on that. And, and it's great to hear your, your, 
players uh, committing to that, I'm sure that's that's probably often the most rewarding part of their week, um, maybe one of the most rewarding part of their whole experience. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. So um, brilliant to hear. So we're, we're obviously at a, an inflection point in college athletics right now. Where does college tennis fit in with all of this? What should college tennis coaches be thinking about and taking action on maybe as soon as this afternoon after they've heard this podcast? <laughs> well, I mean, it really is an inflection point. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the, the financial model of intercollegiate athletics is not one to be uh, investing in, shall we say. It's, it's a very difficult one to, to make money. And, um, and as the revenues have gone up for the power five in, in, uh, in their media contracts, so have the the basically the salaries of the football coaches. They they sort of go in lockstep. But Olympic sports like tennis, golf, uh, swimming, um, we're under a lot of pressure because athletic directors around the country um, they're all thinking about their budgets right now. They're all figuring out how much money they're going to lose this year and maybe for the next few years with the lack of uh, uh, football games being played or a lack of fans in the stands. So. They're looking at, at what what do I cut? Where where can I cut? What sports do I cut? And we're seeing a lot of sport cutting around the country, and and, and not just tennis programs that that you would say, well, you know, maybe they weren't doing a good enough job in the community, or, or maybe they weren't fundraising enough. We're seeing some Power Five schools cutting their tennis programs, and and tennis programs that I think are doing things the right way and are doing things very well. So. It is, uh, it is a very threatening, challenging environment for uh, all coaches. And I think what I'm encouraging all of my colleagues to do is to figure out a way for you to be an asset to your athletic director, to your development office, and to university president or chancellor. Because if you're not, then you are you know, you're, you're going to be under the, the gun for one of the sports that, that they're considering cutting. And um, you know, I, I've tried to look at a lot of models, both in my role wearing my USDA hat and my ITA hat. Um, and and I, I think that there may be a, a model in the future that might look at scholarships for um, for Olympic sports. Uh, what is that? What does it mean to to? Uh, for example, uh, Peter Wright, we pay um, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to the twelve young men on your team to play tennis for Cal. Uh, do we really want to, as an athletic department, invest that in scholarships, basically $250,000 in scholarships? Um, and then they come and we, we give them everything. You know, we give them free coaching, free travel, uh, strength, and, strength and conditioning coach, a nutritionist, a medical. Um, these are things that I think are, are really being explored. The Knight Commission has some powerful models there they're looking at for college sports. But, but overall, I think for college tennis coaches, we have to, we have to build community. We just, that, there's no question about that. Um, we're, we're looking at some legislation now to allow division one coaches to be able to work with the high school aged kids in their community. I think that's one of the areas where there's been a wall between division one college coaches and high school aged kids in the community, um, they can sometimes get access to the college coach through summer camps. Um, but in general, it really is difficult. And, and that's a tie in the community where I think we can continue to build that because those kids are going to become college players, going to become 
professionals in, in uh, not only tennis, but also in, in the world. And they're going to be influencers. So um, we want to make sure we maintain that connection with them while they're there. And, and their parents are also connected to the community as well. So that's an example of, of a couple of things that we're, we're uh, exploring. And I think the, the coaching element of it is being met with uh, almost universal. Yeah, let's do that. Um, you know, women's golf is already doing it. So, uh, but we have to go through the NCAA. And so we have to be sophisticated in how we deal with the different governing bodies, whether it's the USDA, the ITA, the NCAA. Uh, and in that case, it's an NCAA uh, rule that that we would be looking to to just add ourselves to to women's tennis or to women's golf to be able to coach kids in the local community without too many strings attached. Um, so, and I think the, the USTA is very much engaged in how can we improve tennis in our communities and what role do college coaches play? Because I can argue very strongly that college coaches D one D two D three NAIA connect with almost every junior tennis player in the United States at some point, either through their summer camps, uh, through coaching clinics or anything else. And so our coaches are connected to all of the future tennis players in the United States. And how can we do a better job? How can we work with the USDA to, to make that happen? Because when you add up all of our budgets and all of the collegiate programs, D1, D2, D3, I mean, we're at, at uh, a very big number. I mean, if it's not a billion dollars, it, it's $750 million uh, that's allocated to the sport of tennis uh, through our collegiate programs. And, and that doesn't even include the phenomenal facilities that so many of us have. So I, I think college tennis plays a, a, a huge role in, in development and in our sport uh, from juniors through college to, to beyond, to adult tennis. Uh, and, and we can really leverage that well within the organizations, the, including the United States Olympic Committee and the NCAA, the USTA, and the ITA is obviously playing a big role in that as well. So I, I, I truly enjoy seeing us collaborate in ways that uh, enhance what college coaches can do on, on the landscape of tennis in, in the United States and beyond. Well, that's that's great, Peter. Thanks for for sharing that. And uh, just so coaches know as well, I mean, the the USTA is working with several coaches, several campuses now on this community hub idea and how to maybe generate revenue through their their courts or their facilities. Um, and and Tim Cass is actually going to do a presentation at our virtual convention in December around this topic. But coaches listening, if if you want to connect with the USTA, please email me, and I'll put you in touch with the appropriate people so you can start those conversations. Um, okay. So, so Peter, yeah, you mentioned some of the power five programs being canceled, obviously Iowa and, and Minnesota are the two you're referencing there on the men's side that ha have done an incredible job in, in so many different areas of what you're supposed to do as a coach. Right. And, and, it, and it still wasn't enough. I mean, they had several elements of their, their program endowed. I know this is something that you've successfully done as well, but so is this something you'd still encourage coaches to attempt? Uh, should they be trying to endow parts of their program um, or should they be focusing their energies elsewhere? Like you, like you said, the community building, but probably that's all tied together, right? 
It, it is all tied together. And it also, um, it depends a little bit on the priorities of your athletic director and your director of development, you know, whether they want to focus on annual fundraise dollars, uh, dollars for increasing and improving the facilities, uh, or dollars for the endowments. Um, you know, we've, we've done uh, all of those at, at Cal, you know, in terms of trying to improve our facilities, trying to, we, we raise about, yeah, about $600,000 a year from our local community. And, you know, I, 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 I've learned a couple of things about, you know, fundraising along the way that, 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 that are interesting and things as simple as, and I don't know why I was so slow to figure this out, but uh, ball kids at, at matches, you know, I, I was like yeah, ball kids. So we, we'll, we'll have uh, the Berkeley tennis club, their kids, their junior program, will work with their head pro and they'll be our ball kids for a match. Well, that not only brings the kids to the matches and it has a tremendous impact on them and we'll give them a t-shirt or, or some pizza as well. Um, but their parents come to see the ball kids, you know, to see their kids as ball kids, but also to see the tennis. And it starts to build that sense of community. So you now have people coming to support your guys um, that you might not have had in the past. It, it, it takes a little effort, but it's really worth it. And when you have different clubs coming to, to be the ball kids, our, our uh, youth tennis advantage, our, our NJTL program, they're our ball kids. And sometimes we'll mix the ball kids all in together. Um, but those are things that, that really help our, our community and, and help build that uh, as well. So, you know, the, the financial part of it is, um, you know, I, I tease people, I tease my sometimes our CFO because I have uh, usually a bag full of hats uh, when I'm traveling and, and maybe a couple of T-shirts and, and I'll see people in an airport and they might have cow on their, you know, I'll say go bears and uh, um, they'll say, go bears. And, and I'll say, well, so what's your connection to Cal? And I'll say, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. I started this big company and, you know, I played, I said, well, here, here's a hat, you know, just want to say thank you for, for what you do and for your connections. Well, out of all of those people come back and, and they'll say, you know, it was really nice meeting you. How can I help? Well, and, and I've, I've told this and I, I kind of gave this presentation at, at the ITA convention. When somebody asks you that, you better have an answer and it better be good. You better be able to communicate. Oh, how can you help? Well, here's, here are three of the projects we're working on. I'm glad you asked, you know, we're, we're trying to get our facility done. We're, we're trying to get lights. Uh, we're, we're working our scholarship endowments. Um, but again, it takes some time because you can't answer that question without talking to your development person or your athletic director, because sometimes you'll have some very influential people asking how they can help you. And you've got to be careful that there may be other strategies and plans on your campus for that donor. And that's an area that I've certainly screwed up there. Uh, I've, you know, I've talked to some people that I probably shouldn't have talked to uh, and, and uh, had my hand slapped a little bit. But at the end of the day, I've also helped strengthen the relationship with those people who are already helping the university. Um, but again, kindness goes a long way. And the more people get to know the players on your team and the ball kids get to know your players, the more people want to say, wow, I really like what you guys are doing. Um, how can I help? And, and to me, that opens the door to being able to have a conversation about all the things that you're doing and maybe not making an ask like, you know, I, Hey, I need $10,000, but more getting them on board to what are the issues on your campus? What are the issues with your tennis program that are really important to you? You've always needed a ball machine. We can't, this is a big deal for us. We've never been able to do that. 
Um, and we don't have the, the money to do it, but it would have a huge impact. Well, okay, well, I'd like to write a check for that. How much is that? Um, so I, I think, again, we've got to practice that. We've got to learn that. Uh, the more conversations we have external to just the, the bubble of our tennis program and, and our tennis players, um, the more successful I think we're, we're going to be in the future. And again, not just thinking about your tennis program, but adding the value when your AD thinks about who's my tennis coach. Oh, yeah, they're doing a great job because they're helping us with season basketball to ticket sales because these people are our season ticket holders. They're more connected now because they know our tennis coach. Right. And so, Peter, you know, there's there's the when we think about fundraising, right, there's fundraising maybe for a capital project and a new facility maybe. But then right now, I think a lot of coaches are, are just trying to figure out how they fundraise for their operating budgets. And, and there's uh, similar mindsets, but maybe uh, two different mindsets of how they approach that. One of my concerns right now, Peter, as well is, you know, we have a young coach, maybe 24, 25, 26, they get a job, they get their first head coaching job. Uh, fundraising is extremely daunting for them. They're in a, a new um, part of the country, so they don't really have any connections. They're worried about their program being canceled, um, and but they haven't had that time to really develop and evolve those relationships, right? It takes a few years and, you know, you don't want to come out of the gates and just ask, can you give me $10,000 for this or that? I mean, maybe you can and you get that that money, but but how would you speak to a coach, a 26-year-old who's just moved from Texas to Florida. They're starting as a head coach. They need to start fundraising for their operating budget just for their team to get their rackets restrung, maybe travel a little bit. What, what advice or strategies would you provide that young coach? Right away, I would say get to the three or four country clubs within five miles of your campus, talk to the head pro, say, I'd love to bring my guys or my, my women to do a pro-am. We want to give to your club. We want to do something for you for free. We don't, we, we want to just build bridges. So let's get to those four or five clubs. Let's have a pro-am day. Yeah, your kids are going to need to know. And, and, and here's something that, you know, it took me a while to figure this out because I always felt, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm taking my players time that we're going to this club. We're going to play a four hour pro-am. You know, they do they really want to do this? No, they don't. You know, are, do they know how to play with these people? No, they don't. But we use it and we've learned to use it as an opportunity to train our players to be better at interviewing for jobs. So we literally tell them, hey, the people you're going to be playing in this program with are some of the most successful business people, men and women in the community. And if they like you, they might help you. If you get to know them and they get to know you, they may help you get your first job. So now they're going to these pro-ams that we're playing in and they're interested, they're engaged about who they might meet. And we've taught them how to, how to ask the question like, so, you know, what do you do? Like, you know, what, 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 what's your job? What do what do you do? And people, they've learned that people like to talk about themselves and tell you what they do and how they've been successful in their businesses. And then our kids learn to ask follow-up questions to that. Well, lo and behold, our kids are now having a great experience at these pro-ams. The people who are paying or just coming to the pro-ams are having a great experience because they're getting to know the kids as well because they ask the kids, so what are you studying? What are you, what are you thinking about doing in life? 
And they start to make these personal connections about, oh, you want to study this? Well, you know, my friend is so-and-so and he does that. Maybe we can connect. Maybe let's go play some tennis someday with, with, uh, with him or her and, and make that um, a, a new connection for them. So it, it, it really works both ways. I, I started out just kind of with drudgery, like, oh, got to go do a pro-am to make some money for our deal. And now I look at it as I'm doing our kids such a big favor. And I'm doing the club such a big favor. And out of all of that comes goodness and kindness and people willing to, to help the program. So I, I think the first step is not to go out looking for money. The first step is to go out and make friends and to create these connections. And every new connection comes with some positive. I mean, and, and again, it, it's a, I'll, I'll tell you a really quick, funny story, but we had a pro-am and, and I asked this guy, this was, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And, and he was there with our guys. I said, what do you do? He says, well, I'm thinking about, I have this company and we're going to sell online auto insurance. And I'm like, God, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Never, you know, and, and the next year he plays in our program again. I said, you know, how, how's that, how's that company? Goes, oh, you know, so we're, we're doing pretty well. We've got a hundred employees now and we're, we're, you know, it's, it's getting good. And, and, and he plays with all of our kids and he, he loves tennis and he says, wow, I love these guys. And the next year you come back, I said, Hey, you know, how's that, how's that company doing? He goes, well, we just grossed a hundred million dollars. I said, what's the name of it? He goes, Oh, it's insurance. <laughs> okay. And my guys are all playing with the CEO of insurance the whole time. But the, the point of it is, and, and it's not a unique story, but the point of it is that when our kids are playing with these people, I don't tell them necessarily who everybody is. And sometimes I don't know who everybody is, but it's, it's an adventure. It's getting to learn about people, getting to know them and, um, and it's growing. So it, it helps in, in so many ways. So as a young coach starting out, I would go right there. And then I would say to the pros at those clubs, once I've done some of these events uh, or even prior to it, it's like, hey, I'd love to have your kids come be our ball kids for our tennis match on Saturday at one o'clock. Um, we'll give the kids some pizza. Um, can you train the ball kids and show up at, you know, and, 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 and do that. And lo and behold, the pros love it because the families love it because somebody has some story that, uh, when they were a ball kid, how it affected them and what, what an influence it was on their lives. So you're bringing people together to feel good about our sport tennis. And I think those are the types of experiences as a young coach starting out that make you popular in your community, make your sport popular in your community. And, and you're setting, you're building the foundation for success. Brilliant, Peter. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that great, great advice. Um, so yeah, as you're talking about kind of um, think about that, that 26 year old coach again and um you know they're sitting there they want to have as long as uh, a career as you're having and as successful career as you're having um what are maybe some of the things that you've evolved through the years or maybe you found yourself late to adapt to and and wish you had adapted earlier what what are some of those lessons there that uh again you'd love to share with that that 26 year old coach or with a 26 year old peter wright <laughs> well, you know, it is, it, it's, it's funny that, um, the way we do things, the couple of things I think I've found to help a lot. And I, I think everybody's a little bit unique in where they are. We've had a couple of tournaments that are, um, uh, very unique to our area. We, we, we ha have had for the last 20 years, a tournament up in the Napa Valley. 
And it's an experience that is unique to where we are. Everybody has something unique in, in their neck of the woods. Um, but around that event, we will maybe, we have a, a, a very special dinner that is at a place where nobody has can access. It's like a very special spot that one of our donors has given to us to say, Hey, you know, look, I, I, I'll help out. I'll host a dinner for whatever it is, or I'll, uh, or I'll host a party. And so we invite people to that and, and just to say, thank you. In other words, you know, it's, it's a piece of what we do. The thing that I've been late to the party on, which I'm really starting to, you know, last 10 years develop is we have events wherever we go. So if I, if I'm headed to San Diego to play a tournament, we have Cal alumni in the area. We have Cal tennis alums in the area and we'll have a, um, in La Jolla, we have a barbecue on the beach and we'll invite everybody to come and hang out with the guys. And so we do this wherever we go. And then we've also started to add to it at Wimbledon. Um, you know, a lot of our alums, a lot of our former players, they'll, they'll they want to come to Wimbledon. Well, the middle Sunday at Wimbledon, there's no play. So we have a pro-am uh, right near Wimbledon and our alums come and play with our guys. It's uh, and it's a blast. And we have a pub lunch um, at the U.S. Open. We have one session is our Cal Suite. And so some of our top university. And again, I'm not just confining this to uh, tennis team alums uh, who've gone on to be successful or gone on to do anything. We invite some of the top donors to our university who might be in New York City to come to our Cal suite. Um, and we have one of our donors fund that. So I don't pay for that, but we, we, we have people help us do this because they know that these seeds help build for everyone. So our athletic directors come to the U S open to, to be in the suite. And, um, and we've had just an incredible who's who of people stop by and say, Hey, how are you? Um, so I think the events that we do again, that it's, it's part of community building. Uh, we go to Indian Wells to, to play some matches there. Well, we have somebody who has a beautiful home there says, Hey, I'd love to have a host of Cal night. We'll have a taco truck and we'll have, you know, I don't care, 15, 20, 30 people come and join in and celebrate what you're doing. So again, the 26 year old, yeah, I, I know a lot of times you're thinking about coaching and, and, you know, winning, you know, nine matches, 12 matches, 13 matches. And that's really, really important. Um, but the community you build around that is even, I would, I would hazard guess even more important because the more people you have coming to your matches, the better life is and the better you are positioned as a sport. Because I, I would say from in my, you know, all my time in college tennis, if we don't have people in the stands, that's a problem. And it, it, it's a reflection on um, a lot of things, but it's a reflection on us of how much community we've built around our sport. And, and I get it. It's hard to be a coach and build community, but these, these are more simple things going to the country clubs, pretty simple deal. Hey, Sunday from eight to 12, we're going to play a pro-am. And as a coach, you're shaking a lot of hands and your kids are working and you've trained your kids how to meet people and talk with people. Um, you go to play UCLA and USC, you go there, you have friends, donors, alums in the LA area, you get together with them, they meet the, 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 the kids on your team. It's, it's a win-win uh, across the board. So I would, uh, I would <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to say it, but I would focus more on the community uh, and less on, on maybe uh, 
what I want to say, the, the absolute X's and O's, um, because I think as you develop your kids and your players develop as people and, and gain more confidence, it actually affects their tennis more than you would think. And it, and it allows them to be more comfortable and more comfortable in who they are. And that translates to tennis. It's, it's kind of a, a, a funny deal. And the more that there are people in the stands, the more they know people care about them. And, and that will also help them not only play better, but feel more a part of the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's so much there. And, and that's the thing, right, Peter? It doesn't have to be as, as grand as the U.S. Open suite. It, it can be just identifying one uh, alumnus in, in a city that you're going to play in. It might be three hours away and it might be just letting them know, hey, we're playing here at this time or maybe you want to join us for breakfast or something like that. It doesn't have to be, you know, 50 or 100 people or anything like that. Every, every connection, every, uh, you know, little bit helps and you don't know where that might lead. And and I think that's the other thing as you're talking about, you know, the community engagement and kind of leading with that and how that influences tennis. I think we often lose sight of that. I mean, I think if we really go down kind of the, the coaches who, who traditionally have had the most success, they've kind of come at it from that angle, right? I mean, they've come at it from getting a lot of people in the stands, you know, getting people to support their program financially so that they can, you know, bring in the consultants or whatever it is at the highest level, say, but they, the, the coaches that have the oftentimes the most success on the court or having the most success off the court as well. And there's some, there's some skill there, right? That's, that's transferable. Um, you know, that person who's a really good recruiter, they're also uh, very good at fundraising oftentimes because they just have those communication skills. They're willing to pick up the phone. They're willing to ask questions. They, they, uh, like you said, people like to talk about themselves. They're able to bring the best out in people. And um, I think sometimes our, our younger coaches, I know myself included, we just think it's about the, the, the tennis and the X's and O's and, and, and it really isn't. No, I mean, that, 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 it, it, that's so true. And, and I think as you look, I mean, when in my, all my committee work, I always have the centerpiece be the student athletes and, and build from there. So, uh, you know, I was chair of the NCAA tennis committee and we talked about the NCAA championships. That's, that's all the NCAA, not all the NCAA tennis committee does, but that's their job is the NCAA championships. And we just started with the, the student athlete and, 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 you know, what, what the simple things like, where do they walk in? Where is their locker room? What does that look like? What is their hospitality? What is the experience? What are they seeing and feeling? Um, and, and it's less on, you know, uh, the committee room, you know, like, Hey, what, what's going to be in the committee room to, for all of that? <laughs> so I always try to make it about the, the student athlete experience. And I, I think as we look uh, towards their, their development and their growth as, as people, um, and if we focus our efforts in that way, I, you're not going to lose. You really aren't going to lose because you end up turning out young people who know you care about them, who know that the community cares about them, that they've been learning life skills that they can apply to their next job or whatever it is they do. I mean, that's our, our role as, as, as coaches is so much more than the X's and O's. Um, it's about the experiences. And, and to me, again, that's where I, you know, when we have a party at someone's house or, or a reception or something like that, I, I make it sort of mandatory that our guys are mingling with people and, and working, um, working on their skills of getting to know people and building relationships because 
Mm-hmm. At, at first, all my teams would just, they, they'd sit together and talk to each other. And then, you know, everybody else would sit and talk to each other. And, and, and I finally realized, hey, we're, everybody's missing a tremendous opportunity here uh, because you never know. Um, and, and that's always been one of my uh, opening lines every year with my guys. I said, look, I'm going to introduce you to a lot of people during your four years here. And I'm not going to tell you who many of them are. So it's up to you to be a kind person and to, to learn how to use your skills uh, because I, I could be introducing you to a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, or I could be introducing you to the person who does the janitorial services for uh, our office or our locker rooms mm-hmm. um, and learn to treat people with dignity and respect. And, and those are the types of skills that I think they take with them. And uh, it, it helps them along the way. And they, and they know that this is something about their future that, that um, it, it's it, they're important skills to learn. Yeah, for sure. And, and last question here, Peter, just around uh, coaches serving tennis. I know when I moved back to Ireland in 2016, it wasn't till then it really dawned on me as I was reconnecting with people, being at various tennis clubs, being around tennis tournaments, it really dawned on me like none of this happens without volunteers. Like I, I seem to have had my head in the sand and it was like, oh my God, like I don't think I really understood it as a junior player just how much effort went into putting together these tournaments, putting together a, a, a tournament calendar, say, um, all the things that happen behind the scenes that you really have no idea when you're out there competing. Um, and, and so it, 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 it really struck a chord with me. And, and a big reason why I'm with the ITA now is just, I, I want to give back to tennis. I mean, that's going to be my life's work moving forward. I just, I, I, it's had such a, a profound effect on me. And, um, you know, so I, I was giving time back in, in Ireland. I still sit on the board of directors there and, and try and give several hours a week. And, and it's something I'm always going to do, whether it's in Ireland or, or here or somewhere else. Um, but how do we, how do we get more of our coaches understanding just how important that is, whether it's sitting on a, a regional committee, being a region chair, sitting on an operating committee, like none of this happens without volunteers. And it doesn't necessarily be with the ITA, right? It could be with the USTA. It could be other NJTL committee. Um, how, how would you encourage coaches to think about service to the sport of tennis and, and ensure that they're, they're giving back in some way above and beyond the, the, the work they're doing on their campus. Well, I think that's a great point, Dave. And, and I think as we, um, as we consider service to ITA uh, and, and committee service there, uh, I, I think that's one of the important pieces because we have passionate coaches. We have smart coaches. Um, I encourage them when they feel that there's a, a, an issue or um an area where we could improve or, or we should explore further. Uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll ask them, Hey, have you, have you done service? Have you, have you been on a, a, a regional committee, an operating committee? And um, a lot of times they, they haven't. And, and I think that this whole element of service is critical to shaping the policies that go forwards for, for our sport, not only internally to the ITA, which is critical to creating the pathway for college tennis, but the USTA as well. And, and uh, so I, I definitely feel that um, 
you know, early in my career, uh, my athletic director said, hey, Pete, I, I can get you on the NCAA tennis committee. Uh, and, um, and, I, and I told him, I said, I don't think I'm ready for that. I don't think I know enough yet. I, I haven't quite formulated what I'd like this landscape to, you know, what it should look like. So I, 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 I actually did not go on the committee at that stage. And I joined the ITA and, and did commi- committee work and, and got on the operating committee there and started to really understand the landscape. Then I, I went on the NCAA committee. And, and I think um, all of us, uh, whether you're at a Power 5 school or not, um, the ITA committee service is, is critical to learning about how we all fit together and how this whole puzzle fits together, because then we start working on solutions that are, are more global. Um, we can have local regional solutions, but I think our sport uh, in general, and I think college sports right now, and, and particularly Olympic sports, they are under um, a, a tremendous amount of pressure within the intercollegiate sports system and, and the NCAA. And, and I, I feel that um, I've always felt I would rather be have a voice at the table as decisions are being made, as opposed to having to respond to, OK, they decided this. So, you know, now this looks like this. Well, you know, gosh, I wish we'd had more of an opportunity to weigh in on some of this stuff. But as we see these days, oftentimes decisions are made and you just have to go live with it. Um, so I, I, I do appreciate the collaboration of our top groups, the ITA with the USDA, with the USOC, uh, with the, yeah, the, the NCAA. I mean, all of us have to work together to find some, um, I would say on that global level, I would say they're big changes. They're not, uh, you know, I, I think any any coach who's listening to this um, would know right now that their athletic director does not want to spend 30 seconds talking about tennis. That's for sure. Not right now. Uh, they're talking about how can I, you know, how do I put a hole in this three or five or 10 or $20 million deficit that we're, we're facing right now? Um, we certainly don't want to be part of the problem. Uh, in, in, in their view, uh, and maybe more a part of the solution. So, um, that, that's why I, I'm encouraging everybody to, Hey, get out to the, get out to the country club, get out and, and make those connections because that helps us. But we also have to have a view of what is the, what does this landscape look like? Where are athletic scholarships in the future? Are they need based? Uh, is an athletic scholarship just tuition and fees and books? Um, you know, those are questions that, believe me, are being discussed at the highest levels. The Knight Commission is looking at this. The NCAA is looking at this. Athletic directors are looking at this. And, and I, I would hate for us to lose a lot of tennis programs before we can come to an area of agreement about what might be good for our sport going forwards. Very good, Peter. Well, we'll um, we're discussing some heavy things here, so we'll we'll lighten the mood a little bit, and I'll move into my rapid fire round. Uh, what is a book that made a major impact on you as a coach? You know, I, I uh, um, Phil Jackson, uh, quite an incredible coach, and and you know, I think some people are just some of the young people are just getting introduced to Michael Jordan. Uh, in the last dance, but Phil Jackson wrote a book, Sacred Hoops, or he co-wrote it. A uh, very a fascinating view. I, I'm a very much a, a biography, autobiography person, learning about people, learning what they did well, what they didn't do well, and, and uh, 
you know, Phil is very self-effacing. He's not out there writing a book telling everybody how great he is. And this is, this is the recipe for success. He, he actually was quite humble and talked about a lot of his failures and, and how he, he uh, handled those. So, yeah, I, I'd say Sacred Hoops is a great, great book. Very good. And what is your favorite drill to do with your team? Anything to do with a, a volleys transition game uh, makes me happy. So, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of, we do a lot of two on ones, but, uh, anytime we've got somebody moving in and, and, and learning how to volley and, and really, uh, learning how to finish. But, uh, yeah, you, 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 you'll find my court. Somebody is, is moving forwards and, and, and coming and hitting volleys and overheads. Very good. And are, are they still playing for Jaffa cakes? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll play for anything, you know. We do no, no, no NCAA violations, but we'll uh, uh, spirited yeah. practices is what uh, we like. I think you and I played for a few Jaffa cakes back in the day. Um, most of our listeners won't know what a Jaffa cake is, but they're delicious. No. Um, <laughs> Look it up, JAFFA. They're pretty good. Um, name one thing you've changed your mind on in recent years, whether that be in coaching or in life. You know, I, I really think that um, I, I, I think that the wins, and this is in coaching, the wins follow the development of the players, and that development is not just about making the forehand better and the backhand better and the volley better. Um, that's one thing that that I, I've really learned over the years that that as our players develop as people and as they become uh, more mature and more confident in themselves in that transition, it, it affects their tennis game more than perfecting their their forehand volley. And and they do go hand in hand. Uh, but but yeah, that's something I, I, I probably underestimated when I first started coaching. I, I just kind of felt, hey, if we, we work on this backhand cross court pass, this is going to pay dividends. And, and so a lot of Time was time and energy was spent there, um, and now it's it's more balanced. It's it's about um, it's about our players as human beings and, and how they how they develop and how they feel about uh, themselves going forwards. Mm-hmm. And do you have a favorite quote? Uh, you know, I, I have a my guys will tell you I have a lot of them, but I, I think one of the ones that I, I start guys out with all the time is let's uh, let's make things better, let's leave things better than we found them, and and that's that goes to when we go to practice, uh, leaving the courts cleaner than we found them uh, to just wherever we are. Uh, that that's a uh, make things better wherever you go, leave a trail of goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you may have answered the last question then, but what is one lesson you hope all your players have learned by the time they leave Cal? Oh, they, they've learned this lesson. Uh, they've learned this lesson. And this lesson is you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Mm. And, and that takes them a moment, right? They go, what do you mean you don't get a second chance to make a first impression? I said, well, somebody's first impression of you might be your handshake and, you know, hi, how are you? I'm Dave Mullins. Very nice to meet you. And, uh, but their first impression of you might be that they're coming and watching you play tennis and you're cursing and swearing in the background or, or, or that. That first impression they have of you, uh, good, bad, uh, is going to be the impression that they, they carry with them. And you're going to have to either overcome that or continue to, to build it uh, as you go forward. So we, we spend a lot of time. What's, uh, what's somebody's first impression of you? You know, is it, uh, is it going to be a negative one? Is it you dropping a piece of trash, leaving it behind on the tennis courts? Or is it uh, that you did something kind for somebody that you really didn't have to do? So 
but you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. No, that's that's ingrained in my guys' brains that, that from day one till you know later in life. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter, I, I think we did it. That was a fascinating conversation, as I as I knew it would be. Um, I, lots of great things here for for our coaches, regardless of level, age, experience. Um, just want to thank you for your service to to college tennis, to your service to tennis in general, and I hope you're coaching another twenty eight years. <laughs> hey, thanks, Dave. I, you know, look, I really appreciate your efforts at the ITA and, and everyone's efforts there on the staff. It, it's a, uh, it's incredible that we have, and I don't think a lot of our coaches know how strong the ITA is in terms of coaches associations in college sports. It's one of the best and one of the strongest and one of the most influential and one of the most respected. And that's due in great part to the work that you do and the staff does and our coaches who, who serve on the committees as well. So congratulations to you for, for coming back and, and, and helping and being a part of this. It's, it's much appreciated. Well, thank you, Peter. I appreciate you saying that and looking forward to many more years of it. So we'll keep at it. Thank you. Thank you.